All right, let's go ahead and stand. Everybody doing okay tonight? All right. Hey, that's good. That's better than last week. <laughs> I guess we got a little bit of rain, washed a bunch of that junk out of the air, and we're doing all right. Thank you for being with us online. We're glad that you're tuned in tonight. Let's open up in prayer. How many have a need tonight? You'll just signify by lifting your hand. Uh, we do want to continue praying. We've got several in the church that have some physical things going on that, uh, that uh, just need some intervention. And again, I, I, I'm, I'm just so thankful that we, you know, the Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run to and are safe. And, and I'm glad that we have that. Uh, if uh, we've talked in our Wednesday night Bible studies about Jesus in his present position, and the Bible says that he is our advocate who is advocating on our behalf, but it also says he's our intercessor. He ever lives to make intercession. Uh, so, so, uh, I don't know about you, but that's pretty encouraging to know that I've got somebody advocating on my behalf in heaven and I have somebody interceding for me, uh, which is certainly necessary and needful. Uh, let's continue praying for revival, uh, of course, and, and ask God to just, again, do something in our hearts and, uh, all the ministries taking place on campus tonight that God would be, uh, exalted and lifted high. Father, tonight we are so grateful to be able to come together and, uh, study your word. Lord, I thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy, uh, Lord, to be able to do that. Lord, there are many places in our world right now that could not do what we're doing tonight, and we're grateful. We don't take it for granted, Lord. We thank you for the privilege of assembling together to study your word. Uh, Father, as we open up tonight, we do so with a heart of thanksgiving, Lord. And again, we, have, we look back in, in, in time and we see how many, uh, how many times you've always come through for us. You've always been there. Uh, taking care of us, uh, encouraging us, working through the difficult things of life. Father, I thank you that we uh, can approach you with that faith. Lord, we find uh, we do so with boldness tonight. I pray for the hands that went up in the building tonight. Uh, Lord, and those online tonight, no matter what that need is tonight, we trust you. We place it in your hands, Lord, because we know uh, that you're more than enough. I pray for all the ministries that are going on campus tonight. Uh, Lord, that you would be exalted and lifted high in each and every one. I pray, Father, that uh, you would be with us in our time of study. Uh, open our hearts. Let us hear what the Spirit says to us, Lord. And we pray for a revival in our land. Lord, we pray that uh, you would help us, Lord, just creating us from our BT kids through our youth. Uh, Lord, just creating us that hunger and desire just to be with you and in your presence, Lord. And I, I just thank you for it now. Bless this time together in Jesus' name. And we all said amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight. God bless you very much. Uh, turn with me this evening to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, while you're turning there, let me give you a couple of announcements. First one is, don't forget tomorrow is the seniors' lunch. Uh, seniors' lunch in the Family Life Center. Uh, what time, Betty? 11 o'clock? Okay, so come early if you want to visit. Yeah, the thing I like about church is uh, service starts at 7. We get here at 6 and we just hang out. Isn't that kind of cool? You know, uh, just just sit out there, and when we when we renovated, that was one of the reasons that uh, we tried to put different seating areas. Is we wanted people. This is we wanted to be more than just pop in to, for a service and then pop out. Just you know, build community. I want to. I want you to depend on me, and I wanted to depend on you. And the only way we can do that, I can just tell you in the military, I needed to know if those guys had my six, and the only way I knew they had my six is if I spent time with them, and likewise, and so. Uh, anyway, there was a point to that, and it went somewhere. Tomorrow, uh, so don't forget that tomorrow, and, and I know you'll enjoy that. Also, this weekend, don't forget one service on Sunday, uh, 10.45. There will be Sunday school at 9.45, and then the 10.45 service is our, uh, we're having our annual missions convention. Uh, we'll have opportunity. They'll be in your card, like in, uh, in your seat, like in times past. Uh, faith promise cards, that helps us set our missions budget for next year. And we're asking uh, you to consider what God would have you to do above your tithes and offerings that goes specifically to missions. Now, one thing we're doing this year that we don't typically do is we're going to receive a special offering for the Silk Road Project Fire Bible. Uh, we are in our 70th language of, of translating these Bibles into the heart language of, uh, of various people groups around the world. Uh, our first one that we were involved in here at Bethel was about 15 years ago, and that was the Chinese Fire Bible. I actually have the copy uh, in my office. Uh, 
it makes a great paperweight because I can't read a I can't read anything in there. Uh, but uh, anyway, so that we're looking forward to that. They'll have tables set up out there uh, for you to stop. We have the Chi Alpha missionary from TCU that will be with us and talk about what God's doing on the college campus through Chi Alpha Ministries. Uh, we have Mar- Marcy will be with us. Uh, Marcy Moyer is a missionary to Estonia and uh, talk about what, they're, what God's doing there in Estonia. Not very many. I think uh, the percentage of Christians in Estonia, I think, is only about 4 or 5%. I mean, it's really, really low, uh, maybe not even that much. Um, and, of course, we have uh, Jeff, Jeffrey Dove, who is the director, CEO of Life Publishers. He was a missionary in Laos and Cambodia and Vietnam. He was the area director. He now uh, lives in Springfield, and he heads up the Fire Bible Projects. So uh, anyway, looking forward to that. Also, don't forget BT Kids. Um, We're having our BT Kids volunteer lunch. Uh, If you're interested, ever been interested in working in children's ministry, helping out in children's ministry, there's a sign-up sheet at the Hub. Uh, We're going to have lunch after the 1045 service on the 1st of October, and uh, and I want to just, we're going to kind of meet and talk about children's ministry uh, and as, as we move forward, and the last thing before we get into our teaching tonight is on October the 8th, uh, so that's two weeks from Sunday, I guess it is, we're doing our Fall Family Fun Day, uh, and we've done this uh, last couple of years. We're going to uh, uh, basically have a, kind of a dress-down type Sunday. I think one year we did a favorite sports team, if you had that, uh, high school, college, pro, if, if, if you're into that, whatever. But uh, right after service, the 1045, we'll have lunch. Uh, we're doing hamburgers and hot dogs this year. Last year, we did the four or five food trucks we had out there. This year, we're just going to prepare hamburgers, hot dogs, uh, have people bring sides like chips and things like that. And we're going to have some games and stuff, outdoor activities, praying that the weather goes back to a fall. They said last week was a fake fall. Uh, maybe we'll have another fake fall on October the 8th, uh, but uh, we have some bounce houses for the kids, and uh, we got horseshoes out there, horseshoe pits out there, uh, I think some guys wanted to play some, I don't know, I heard somebody talking about dodgeball, I'm too old to dodge a ball, <laughs> so, so anyway, let, let's get right into our teaching tonight, uh, so tonight we're kicking off a brand new, oh, that's the other thing, on October the 1st, um, Sunday week, uh, we'll start a brand. I'm going to start a brand new sermon series entitled "Foolproof." F O O L, foolproof, and we're going to be looking at living in wisdom. Uh, but tonight, we kick off a new teaching series, uh, "Standing on His Promises," and so we're going to we're going to study the promises of God. Uh, and tonight's lesson is entitled "Great and Precious." Uh, so my text is Second Corinthians. Chapter 1, just one verse of Scripture, verse number 20, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul writes to the Corinthian believers, for all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Let me read that again. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. May the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. Now, so tonight I'm going to just kind of do an introductory uh, uh, lesson into the promises of God. Um, in this series, we're going, to, we're going to tackle some of the great and precious promises that God has given us in His Word. I've often said that there are, I read this many years ago, and for whatever reason, sometimes numbers, some, sometimes numbers stick in my head. I, I don't know why it is. Um, I, you know, I can remember uh, phone numbers. I can remember, uh, I can't remember birth dates, though. I can remember phone numbers. I can remember. Uh, so when, when Sheila and I, when I was in the military, of course, you don't have a name in the military. It's last four, please. That was it, last four. And so I remembered, uh, so I, I re- even to this day, I know my wife's social security number. Don't have to worry. You know, I, I mean, it's just one of those things. I just have this thing about numbers. And some year, years ago, I read that there are 7,487 positive promises of God in the Bible. These are things that God said he would do for us or through us or to us. And, 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 and I've often wondered, how many of them do we really rely on? I mean, these are powerful promises of God. Uh, and, and, and so I want to kind of set that up tonight, again, being an introductory level, uh, a lesson. 
and, and just tell you that, you know, we live in a time right now when there seems to be very little value uh, on a person's word. I grew up in a time when my father would shake a hand, make a deal, and that was the deal. You didn't have to get it in duplicate or triplicate form. If, if they agreed on something, that was the way it was. And today, you can't do that. In fact, you can even have something notarized. You can have something drawn up by lawyers and still find wiggle room to get out of it. That's just where we are in our culture. There's not much value. I mean, think about it. politicians regularly make campaign promises, and, and then once they get elected, what do they do? They retract the promises that they made to everybody. You know, people give their word. and In fact, many people will go as far as say, well, I, I, I promise you. And then they never uphold what they said they would do. You know, it's very disheartening. You know, we want to teach our children the value of speaking a word and then honoring that word, being true to that word. And I think sometimes even to the point where, uh, you know, I think some of the great lessons of life is when I give my word to do something. So, so you know, when my kids were growing up, I learned real quick that, it, you know, kids couldn't remember anything about cleaning their room or anything like that. But if you told them you're going to take them to Six Flags or somewhere else, you could tell them a year in advance, but they're going to know on that day you better take them to Six Flags. They don't remember anything else, but they remember that. <laughs> so I got to the point where I would say, if we'll, we'll see. You know, they come ask me a question, like, we'll see. You know, not, you know, it's noncommittal because you never know. Because I'm one of those guys that if I give my word, I'm going to do everything in my power to honor because I think it's an honorable thing to do. I think it's an honorable thing to give a word and to keep your word. You know, it's a, it's a sad, to me it's a sad day uh, that we live in when people cannot be honorable enough to stand behind their word. You think about a warranty. You get an automobile with a warranty. And, and, and how oftentimes have we been robbed because of snake oil salesmen, so to speak. The warranty is not as good as the paper that it was written on. But here's the thing. Thankfully, in a, in a, in a world full of broken promises and, and no value on people's words, thank God that, we, that God always keeps his word. He always keeps his word and he never changes. This means that you and I can count on God to do what God said he would do uh, and, and, and that's important to me. And the Bible is filled, as I said, with great promises that help bring stability in an unstable world. See, one of the reasons that we need to know the promises of God is because it gives us stability when everything around us is, you know, is, is shifting. You know, the Bible talks about uh, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And, and, and listen, just because we're Christian doesn't mean that we're exempt from the hardships and the shakings that come to this, to, into, into this life. And so I have to have something that brings stability. Uh, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by, uh, I, I like to watch some of those shows on Discovery Channel, some of those engineering feats, you know, and how they, how they earthquake-proof a building. You know, they put those big shock absorbers under the foundation, and it just blows my mind, the, the, the ability, the creativity that God's given to mankind to be able to design and, and build things like that. We need something that gives us stability when everything around us is shaking, and that's where the promises of God will come in because the Bible says, Forever, O Lord, your word is established or settled in heaven. It's already settled. There, there's no variableness with it. There's no shadow of turning. There, there, there's, it's not on one day and off the next day. It's, it's settled. It's established, and it won't change. You know, we... Uh, we, we've heard it said many times that a man is only as good as his word. Well, if that's true, then it seems like there aren't very, good men, very many good men these days because they think nothing are breaking their word. One of the great truths of Scripture is that God is, he is faithful to keep his promises. He is faithful to keep his promises. I, I, I came across this story, and I'll, I'll just have to share it with you. The Chicago Tribune carried this story. Now, it's been a long time ago. In fact, it was in June of 1995, so it's been a long time ago. But they carried this story about a man who was, he was, 67, he was a 67-year-old carpenter by the name of Russell Herman. You can look him up, Russell Herman. He died in Marion, Illinois. And, and the reason that they carried this story is that as they were, after he passed away, they were kind of going through his stuff, and they came upon his last will and testament. And in his last will and testament, he left 
the following. $2.4 billion to a nearby town. $2.4 billion to East St. Louis. $1.5 billion for projects in the southeastern Illinois area. He goes on in his will, and he keeps doing this generosity. He leaves $6 trillion to the Federal Reserve to pay off the national debt. And then he left another $6 trillion to uh, get the country back on track. Now, there was only one problem with it. At the time of his death, the only thing that Mr. Herman actually owned was a 1983 Oldsmobile Tornado. (laughs) So while he may not have left anything (laughs) really of monetary value, he did leave us a good reminder. You can't give away what you don't possess. You can't give away what you don't possess. I mean, he had other things in there that were pretty outlandish too, but that was some of them. I, I, I thought, well, kudos to the guy wanting to get the country out of debt. Of course, now I, I saw yesterday where America for the first time has surpassed $33 trillion in national debt. It took us from the birth of our nation. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm a history guy. It took us from the birth of our nation in the 1700s all the way to 1980 to accumulate $1 trillion in debt. And from 1980 to now, we're $33 trillion in debt. Sounds like we got a leadership problem in Washington to me. But anyway, that, that's, a, that's a whole different thing. I've <laughs> you can't give what you don't possess. And, and the bottom line is, this man, no, no matter how generous he may have felt in his heart, and there was a, the reason the paper carried the story is some people said that he was doing that out of spite, he was, you know, that he was really trying to goad people and things like that. But, uh, but the bottom line is, he did not possess the resources to honor the commitments that he was making. In, it was a certified copy of his last will and testament. He did not have the resources to do that. Well, here's the point. That's not true with God. It's not true with God, especially when we're talking about his promises. God has all the means necessary to make good on his promises. So when you and I anchor ourselves in the promises of God, it's something that, what is the old saying? You can take that to the bank. It's reliable. He's trustworthy. Again, in a world of broken promises, uh, we, we live in a, broken, a, a world bro- of broken promises, uh, whether it be from relational pain, uh, outlandish political promises, maybe the over-the-top fast food commercials. I mean, how many of you ever have become skeptical when somebody makes a, a promise that they're going to do something? Isn't that sad that we've gotten that point? You know, if you watch television, again, I, I preached a few weeks ago on uh, uh, on how bad thing, when bad things happen to good people. And I said that when you are in pain, you're willing to spend just about anything you have to get comfort, to get relief, right? And you know what? There are people that will capitalize on that. If you hurt in your back, you know, I, you know with my lower back issues, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many things I bought that says it was going to crack it, pop it, stretch it, you know, you know, do all those things that are supposed to help that lower back, you know? Shoes with, with, with the severe plantar fasciitis in my, in my foot. You know, so you buy shoes, you buy inserts, everything that said, we, we, we do that. And, and, and so what happens is after a period of time, you know, how many have seen those commercials that if you just take this gummy every day, you'll drop weight and you don't even have to exercise? <laughs> They're out there. I bought a bottle. They didn't work, and they taste nasty. <laughs> after, a while, after a while, you get skeptical, right? Somebody promises something. Somebody says they're going to do something, and you, you, in the back of your mind, thinking, yeah, right. Yeah, right. You know, that's just kind of where we are. Here's a truism I think we can count on. In a world of broken promises, God can be counted on. In a world of broken promises, God can be counted on. He is reliable. You know, as we kick off this series uh, tonight, we need to know that the Bible is filled with great and precious promises of God. I, I, again, I one time read that of the 31,000 verses that are in the Bible, 90% of them, or better, rest upon a promise. 
That's significant. That's significant. There are a lot of promises that God has given to his people. When God says something, that settles it right there. The one pastor put it like this. A promise, here's, here's how he defined a promise. A promise is the assurance that God gives to his people. It's the assurance that God gives to his people so they can walk by faith while they wait for him to work. That's a promise. It's the assurance that God gives to us that while we're waiting for him to work, we can have faith. Another pastor contrasted the difference between a command and a promise. And here's what he said. He said, a command from God is something we should do. A promise from God is something God will do. A command must be obeyed. A promise must be believed. When God gives a command, he says, you will. When God gives a promise, he says, I will. That's the difference. So as we talk about the promises of God, again, a command is this is what you're going to do. A promise is this is what I will do. So that's the difference there. Um, Adoniram Judson, who was the missionary to Burma uh, in, a, in a bygone generation, here's what he said. He said, the future is as bright as the promises of God. The future is as bright as the promises of God. D.L. Moody added that God never made a promise that was too good to be true. Here's a statement I think we ought to write down. God never overpromises and he never underdelivers. Isn't that good? He never overpromises and he never underdelivers. God is completely and totally trustworthy and he's faithful. And so in this introductory lesson tonight, I want us to look at some of the principles regarding the promises of God. Now, again, uh, I, I'm sure that some people, have, most of us here have heard people misconstrue God's word to justify their behavior, right? I mean, anybody can take the word of God and kind of manipulate it a little bit to, to justify just about anything. To get the most from this series, then we need to understand, if we're, again, if we're going to stand on this promises, then we need to understand and establish some guardrails regarding the promises of God. So, so, so that's kind of the purpose of our kickoff session tonight is I want to lay some guardrails as we, as we dive into the promises of God. So there are eight that I want to give you real quick. Number one, the first guardrail when it comes to the promises of God is that God's promises must be contextualized. They must be contextualized. Now, this simply means that we have to see the promise in the context in which it was given. For instance, let me give you an example. Most everybody here probably has found great comfort in quoting or hearing somebody quote Hebrews 13.5 that reads, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Anybody heard that before? It's, it's, it's a great scripture, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of comfort to that. There's a, lot, there's a promise there. He said, I won't leave you, nor will I forsake you. Well, but what they don't do is they don't tell you what the first part of that verse says. You know, we give that last portion there because it, it sounds good and it resonates with us when we feel down, but there's more to it. And, and so here's, what, here's the way the verse actually reads. Hebrews 13, 5, keep your life, this is what it reads, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You see the difference there. What, what, what in context, when you contextualize that promise, what it means is that you and I can live free of the love of money and be content with what we have. Now, that's a promise we all need to get behind, right? I can be content and I can leave, live free from the love of money knowing that he'll never leave me nor forsake me. Whole different, whole different uh, idea behind the promise. Now, it doesn't negate the fact that God's always with us, but I'm just simply saying, for example, we, we've got to be careful when we extrapolate from Scripture and try to twist it to fit something that it doesn't fit. So the first guardrail is let's contextualize the promise. The second thing is don't cherry-pick his promises. Everybody know what I mean by that? It, what, simply this. What it means is we have to be willing to accept all of God's promises, not just the ones we like. Again, for example, God promises, you know, God promises good things to his follower. 
I, you know, I, again, you, you being evil know how to do good things to your children. How much more does your heavenly Father delight in doing good things to you? We, we enjoy that. That's a good scripture. So God promises to do good things, but he also promises that there's going to be rough patches. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be surf, uh, suffering. There's going to be difficulty. Paul said to Philippians 1.29, For unto you it is given on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but to suffer for his sake. So, so that is included as well. In fact, Jesus said in John 16, he said, in the world you will have trouble, tribulation. You know what that is? That's a promise. I don't like it. I'm allergic to one thing. You guys are good. <laughs> I don't like pain. I don't like any kind of pain. But he said, you're going to have it. Don't be surprised. That's why later on, you know, uh, think it not strange. What did Peter say? Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened unto you. Well, he tells us it's going to happen. You know, we can't, just put the, we can't just put the pleasant promises on our walls and, and then act surprised when tough times come. Now, but, but here's the thing. He doesn't stop there in, in John 16, 33. He doesn't stop by saying in the world you're going to have tribulation. He goes on. And he lets us know that we never suffer alone. Because he says, but take heart, I've overcome. So, so I'm not suffering by myself. I'm not suffering in isolation. I'm not suffering alone. I have a high priest who's familiar with the griefs that we go through. So you see the difference. Don't cherry pick the promises. Pull out the ones you like and discard the ones you don't. All of God's promises have a bearing on our life. Number three, God's promises ultimately are for glorifying himself. That's it. It's about bringing glory to him. I'm just going to say something to you. I I get really frustrated in Christendom today, particularly with the crowd. I'm just going to label it like this, the declaring and decreeing crowd. That is a new version of the name-it-claim-it ideology, the declaring and decreeing. And, 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 and so since, since when can we, I've got to be careful, <laughs> when can we as created beings demand that God do anything for us? Again, now, now I, we, we serve a benevolent God who loves us immensely. But when do I have the right to command or demand or decree that he do anything for me? And, and, and we, 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 I was watching someone the other day that, if I called the name, you would know very well. Uh, and they were, man, they were, they were at it, man. They were chopping that wood, just, just, to, just going at it. And I'm decreeing this, and I'm decreeing that, and I'm decreeing this. And, and it just grieved my spirit. It just grieved my spirit. We can't just name it, claim it without worshiping the name that's above all names and desiring for him to display his glory and honor. It's all about him, not about us. Psalm 119.38 says, Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. I've often said one of the reasons we probably don't see as many miracles as we might hear about in other parts of the world is because in our culture, if, somebody, if God uses somebody in the gift of healing, automatically they want to hire a PR firm and go around the country doing healing crusades. Well, God may not have called you to do a healing crusade. He may have just called you to use the gift in that local assembly there to touch somebody. It's about bringing him glory, his name being feared. So, again, God's promises are, are, are really about glorifying him. Number four, some promises are conditional. How many ever heard that before? Some promises are conditional. What does that mean? It means God will do his part when we do our part, it's conditional. I, I, I think this is best illustrated by the if-then passages of Scripture, the if-then. Okay, for instance, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 11, 22 and 23, here's what it says. For if you carefully, listen to, to the if-then. If you carefully keep all the commandments which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God, walk in all his ways, to hold fast to him, then... The Lord will drive out all these nations from before you, and you will, disp- you will dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourselves. You see the tie there. If you do this, 
keep the commandments, love the Lord, walk in his way, hold fast to him. If you do that, then this is what I will do. Second Chronicles seven fourteen that we talk about with revival. If my people who are called by my name will do what? Will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn or repent. If you do that, he said what? Then I will for, I will forgive your I will hear from heaven I will forgive your sins hear, I will hear from heaven forgive your sins and heal your land if then that's a condition that's a conditional promise Psalm 37 verse 4 says delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desire of your heart see the condition there if I delight in the Lord God honors me by giving me the desire of my heart now how does that work does that mean I get a new Mercedes if I if I serve the Lord faithfully? No, that's not what it means. It means when I delight myself in the Lord, my wonder becomes his wonder. Different. Now, hey, if the Lord wants to give you a Mercedes or a, an Eleanor Mustang, <laughs> then, then praise the Lord. But you, you see the condition there. You know, we like, the, we like the second part of that verse that says he'll give us the desire of our heart, but you can't get the desire of your heart if you don't first do the front part and that is delight yourself in the Lord. You know, they, they go hand in hand. In hand. They, go, they go together. It's kind of like, uh, well, even in the New Testament, they're conditional promises. Uh, James 4.10 4, says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Okay, condition. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Humility is to is to not think less of yourself. It's not to think less of yourself, but to think of yourself less. He said, "If you do that, he lifts up." How many How many know the term brown noser? Anybody know the term brown noser? Okay, <laughs> we'll we just leave it at that. Okay. Um, have you ever met somebody that just their their whole purpose in life is to rub shoulders with people whom they think can advance their career? Isn't that a sad? Isn't that a sad thing? You know, there there are always people that are trying to promote themselves, and they're always trying to get a leg up on everybody, and by and they name drop all the time. And the scripture says, "Look, if you'll humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, He'll raise you up." It's not my job to raise me up; it's His job to raise me up as I submit in humility to Him. Number five. Prom- again, these are guardrails. These are guardrails that we will use uh, over the next few weeks as we delve into the promises of God. Number five, promises are received by faith. You know, everything we have in, in our spiritual journey is by faith. We're saved by faith. We walk by faith. We live by faith. Everything we have is by faith. We receive the promises by faith. Charles Spurgeon said, do not treat God's promises as if they were curiosities for a museum but believe them and use them. I like that. They're not things to just kind of look at. Use them. Pray. You know, you say, well, how do I do that? I'm jumping ahead of myself. But I'll tell you, how do I appropriate the promises of God? I'll tell you what I do. I pray them. I pray the promises of God in my devotion time. You know, I mean, if you say, well, Pastor, I don't even know where they are. You know what? We live in, a, we live in a, an information age. There are, there are little resources out there called the promises of God, and that's all they are. They're, they're little bitty books that are filled, chalked filled with, 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 full of, of promises. And, and, and some of them go as far as grouping them by categories. They categorize those things. So even I could figure it out. If I'm, if I'm going through hard time, I go through hard times. There it is, page Get you one of those. And in your prayer time, Lord, your word says. Lord, your word says. What is faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When you start praying the word of God, to me, that's a powerful, that's a powerful thing to do for your faith. That's one way to do it. Charles Spurgeon again said, don't, don't look at them as curiosities, but use them and, and, and believe in them. So when you and I exercise our faith regarding the promises of God, they become personal to us. Hebrews 4 and 2 says, But the word which they heard did not profit them, 
not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. In other words, what they were told didn't amount to much because they, 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 they didn't have faith. In fact, didn't, didn't the Bible say back in Matthew that there was a town that Jesus went in and it said that he could not do many miracles there? You remember why they couldn't do many miracles there? Because of their lack of faith. Matthew chapter 13. He could not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. We have to have faith. You know, I, I like to look at faith like an acronym, F-A-I-T-H, forsaking all, I trust him. That's faith. When Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land, it was an act of faith on their part. Joshua 21, 43 says this, So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers. So, so again, the promise of land was given to them, but they had to go in and possess it. Again, it was, a, it was a step of faith. When they crossed over the Jordan, they were doing so by faith. When they marched around the walls of Jericho the one time every day for six days and then seven times on the seventh day, they did so by faith. When, even when they were de- defeated by Ai and, and, and had to repent because of the hidden sin in the camp, and then they, God renewed them. They, again, everywhere they went in the promised land, it was by faith. It was an act of faith. We can't do any less. Many of the promises, many of the pro, well, the promises of God will never be realized without faith. Um, the Bible says, uh, it goes on in, in Joshua 21, 43, says, and they took possession of it and they dwelt in it. Why did they take possession of it? Because they, they walked in faith. They occupied by faith. Don't be, dis, don't be like people in, that's described in Psalm 106, 24. It said, then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his promises. How many people today sit without the blessing? And I, and I will talk about favor of God. How many people sit just numb because they don't see the activity of God simply because they don't exercise their faith? It's, you know, the, what, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do you conquer a long journey? One step at a time. What's the toughest step? The first step, it's the same thing with faith. We'll never get where we want to be without exercising our faith. And the first, the most difficult step to take is that very first step. When I, uh, I've shared this with you before, when, when I, back in 96, when I was working for the city of Irving as a health inspector and the church had grown from 93 to 96 and it had gotten to a point where the, the church needed a full-time pastor. I had a great career with the city uh, I, I had, there was a lot of future mobility there and it would have been a great career, great retirement, all that stuff. And, and so when it came time to make that decision, whether or not I needed to go full-time with the church or step aside and let somebody come in and, and pastor the church, it, I, I'll be honest with you, it was a very difficult choice because I'm third, again, I'm third generation. I, I grew up in a time where I saw, I, I, I saw, and I've heard of churches that, that uh, you could get up on a Sunday and say the wrong thing and have the church leave. I mean, again, it's a, it's, it's just a, it's a very fickle thing. And I remember, I remember to this day when I made the decision, Sheila and I prayed about it. We talked about it and said, you know, this is what I got out of the military because God had called me to ministry, to ministry when I was a young boy. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to fulfill God. And I, I, I sense the Lord speak to my spirit, says, if you will follow me, if you will follow me, I will take care of you all the days of your life. And I remember turning in my resignation there at the city, and I remember my last day uh, on the job as I'm at City Hall, and I'm packing up my office, and I put all my belongings in the box, and, and I put them in the car. And as I'm driving away in my rearview mirror, City Hall is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And, and I, I, I felt that devil jump up and say, you're an idiot. You'll never make it. You're going to make the people mad, and they're going to they're going to they're going to bail out on you. You're you're an idiot. And I just again sense the Lord saying, you know what? I got you. I got you. It was a big step. And you know what? God's honored His word because He's taken care of me every day of my life since that. He's all of my life, but especially since '96, God has always taken care of me. 
I have story. I don't have time to tell you, but I, I've got stories of God just supernaturally providing, especially in the last 12 years with my wife. God has provided in ways I can't even begin to fathom. I can't fathom, nor it's, it's not easy to describe how God has always come through. It all starts with faith. Number six, don't be passive about God's promises. Hebrews 6.12 says that you do not become sluggish. The word sluggish means what? Lazy. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Charles Finney said the promises were made to be used by God's children by all who will believe them and appropriate them. Proverbs 13.4, I'm going to give you a lot of scripture. Proverbs 13.4 says the, the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Number seven, be in a position to receive his promises. First Samuel 2 and 30 says that God will honor those who honor him. So God is looking for people today who have surrendered hearts and those who are quick to confess sin. Psalm 66, 18, 18 says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And number eight, last guardrail, Hold on to hope. Hold on to hope. Anybody here like to wait? Okay, I, I'm just making sure we're all normal. I don't, I don't like to wait. I don't, I don't like to wait anywhere. I'm sorry. I'm, you know, patience, God's still working on me. You know, I mean, and, and inevitably, and this is the way God does it. I don't know about you, but when I go to the grocery store and I see that one register that has nobody there, and I'm just, I'm doing everything but run to get to it, and about the time I get there, this person with two loads of two buggies of grocery cuts me off. Anybody had that experience beside me? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, okay, God, I, I get it, I get it. <laughs> and I go to self-checkout. <laughs> we, don't, we don't like to wait. But you know what? Here's the thing. Waiting is often an incubator for great things. Waiting is often an incubator for great things. There, there are times uh, of waiting for his promises to come to pass. So Hebrews 10, 23 and 24, I love what he says. Let us, let us hold unswervingly or unwavering to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold on without wavering because he's faithful. What does it mean? Don't give up. Don't bail because you think God failed you. He hasn't. Hebrews 10, 36 says you need, to you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Isn't that good? Persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive his promises. Remember, a promise is the assurance that God gives to his people so that we can walk by faith while we wait for him to work. So in a world of broken promises, God can be counted on. In a world that can't keep its word, God is dependable. Again, I know we've given a lot of scripture tonight, and, 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 and I've got just a few more minutes. I want to I, I give you, I want to kind of go through some script, more scriptures. And, and, and I'm just going to toss this out to you. Maybe, maybe if you feel comfortable doing so, why don't you just, as I read these, there's, there's several scriptures. Why don't you just close your eyes? And just listen to the word. These are promises in God's word. If you feel comfortable, close your eyes as I read them. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Deuteronomy 1. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you a thousand times and bless you as he has promised. Joshua 23. Now I am about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. 1 Kings 8. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised and with your hand you have fulfilled it as it is today. 1 Kings eight fifty six. Praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people, Israel, just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. First Chronicles 17. And now, Lord, 
Let the promise you have made concerning your servant and this house be established forever. Do as you promised. Nehemiah 9, you have kept your promise because you are righteous. Psalm 77, he has unfailing love, has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Psalm 106, then they believed his promises and sang his praise. Psalm 119, sustain me according to your promise and I will live. Do not let my hopes be dashed. Again, Psalm 19, I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. Psalms 145, the Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. 2 Corinthians 7, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. And we all said, amen. Beautiful promises. First Peter, I got five minutes. First Peter, or excuse me, Second Peter. Peter writes, his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which, we, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may, you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Isn't it comforting to know that God has already given us everything we need to live in this world? Peter lays out two things. One, he says we as believers are to unleash the power of God. Listen, I don't need another book or blessing or seminar or experience to prepare to live in this fallen world. Peter says God has given to us all things. He already has, past tense. The second thing he points out is not only should we unleash the power of God, we should also utilize the promises of God. God's promises are great and they're precious. Uh, I, I, I read about John Bunyan who spent much of his life in prison Here's what he said. Here's what he wrote. He said, The pathway of life is strewn so thickly with the promises of God that it is impossible to take one step without treading upon one of them. I think that's true. Peter gives us two benefits for appropriating these promises. Number one, we get closer to the Savior. Notice that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. The second thing he says is we get farther from sin, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Again, God's promises are, are a firm foundation upon which you and I can build our lives to live in this crazy, mixed-up world. Again, our text says, For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him amen, to the glory of God through us. You know, a lot of people wanted, wanted to challenge Paul in his teaching, but you think about this. God's promises are many. They run from Genesis to revelation. The promises are made by God himself, therefore he is going to keep them. The promises that he makes reflect the character of God. The promises are established beyond all doubt. In fact, the word yes in Greek means certain. It means certain. Amen is Hebrew and it means so be it. Or maybe another way is fully accomplished. Uh, all of God's promises are fulfilled in Christ. That's why you do know that Jesus uh, fulfilled everything. Uh, Revelation 3.14 says, These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Okay? These promises come through Christ, but they have to be claimed by us. What does that mean? It means you and I, we, we need to know Jesus. <laughs> I've often said you, to get the benefits of the family, you've got to be part of the family. How many of you would let somebody come in to, uh, uh, to, to an estate uh, probate and let them claim some of, some of your stuff if they weren't part of the family? I don't know of anybody that would do that. If you want stuff of the family, you've got to be part of the family. Again, those are promises of God. These are given for the glory of God. I mean, again, I'm going to close with this. Th take salvation, for instance. Salvation has nothing to do with our promises to God, it has everything to do with God's promise to us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 25 says, And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. Again, it has nothing to do with me making promises to him. It has everything to do with the promise he's made to us. Salvation is offered to us freely right now. But you know what? 
one day it'll be too late. One day it'll be too late. And I, I don't say that with glee. I don't say that jovial. I, I do look forward, Maranatha, you know, I, I look forward to Jesus coming. But, but one day there'll be people that you and I know that are not born again and they'll be left behind. His, his grace is, is, is open and sufficient right now. The day of salvation is right now, but there will, will be one day when it's one day too late. That is a promise. You know, that is a promise. We'll close with that. That is a promise. Because God is patient, he's giving folks right now time to decide to follow him. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning this promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any perish, but that all come to repentance. Right now he's long-suffering, but one day that will end, and that's a promise. John 14, he said, I'm going to prepare a place. It's a promise, and I'm coming back. That's another promise. So as we unpack these, we keep these promises over the next few weeks. Let's keep that in mind. God's entire communication with us can be summed up in two words, I promise. I promise. And we don't have to worry about him breaking his word. We don't have to worry about him reneging on his promises. He never, again, he never overpromises and he never underdelivers. When Jesus died, he guaranteed that those of us who were adopted into his family through faith will inherit all that he's promised. So tonight, in a world of broken promises, God can be counted on. Would you stand with me tonight? I do want to challenge you tonight if you, to, to pray the promises of God. If, if, you've, if, you know, if, you've, never done, if you've never done that, pray, pray the promises. Fine. Uh, you know, I, I think it's a good practice. I love, the, I look at, I love the, the, the wisdom of Proverbs. I love Psalms. Uh, you know, there's, there's so many nuggets that are scattered throughout the Scriptures. But get yourself a Bible promise book. And, 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 and some of them are categorized, like if you're depressed if you're, you know, if you're, if you're struggling, I mean, all kinds of things. And, and, and they've done the hard work. They've gone through and they've pulled out Scripture and they've grouped them by topics so that we can easily find them. Get yourself one of those. Go to Amazon or go to Christian Book, uh, CBD, christianbook.com, and, and order one, get it delivered, and then in, in your devotion, just pray. You, know, you find yourself in a rough spot, go find some promises, write them down, and then you go to your prayer room, your, your war room, and just Say, God, your word says this. This is what your word says, Lord, and I'm going to stand on it. I may, not, I may not feel it right now, and I may not see the evidence of those things right now, but I'm going to stand on your word because your word is established and settled in heaven, and it will not be void. That's a good thing to do. I want us to close in prayer tonight, and if you'll just bow with me, maybe you're here tonight and you just simply say, you know what, Pastor, I really need to build my life on his promises. I find myself sometimes kind of vacillating between mountaintop experiences and valley living. And, and I'm up and I'm down and I'm up and I'm down, I'm on, I'm off and all those things. I, I, I want to have stability in my life. And as you said, the promises of God bring me stability. They give us stability that we can, that we can anchor in something that doesn't shift and that doesn't shake with everything around us. If you're here tonight and say, Pastor, just pray for me that God would help me to build my life on the promises of his word. Just slip your hand right, right back down. Amen. If you're online tonight, if you'll comment, I want to pray with you as well. Father, tonight I love you so much and I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you as we jump into this series. Over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack some of the, some of the promises that you've given to us. Lord, these are anchors that hold in a world that's gone nuts, in a world that's chaotic and, 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 and uh, traumatic at times. Lord, I thank you that we can anchor in something that is eternal, something that has been established forever. So, Father, I pray tonight that you... Take us out of here, the hands that went up in the building tonight. Lord, give us an appetite, Lord, for your promises. Give us a hunger and a desire, not just to know about you, but to know you. Uh, Lord, to, to, to know your word, to hide your word in our heart. Lord, give us that strength, Lord. I pray now that you'll go with us. Give us a wonderful, restful night tonight, I pray. And uh, Lord, should you, Terry, bring us at the next appointed time, Lord, I pray on Sunday, bring people from the north to south the east and the west. I know it's Mission Sunday, but Lord, even now ordain what you're going to do. Let lives be challenged and changed by the abiding presence and power of your Holy Spirit. Give us a great week. May we walk as testimonies uh, of what your grace can do to those around us. I love and I bless each one now in the mighty name of Jesus.
And we all said, amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much.